Can we give the Lord Jesus a hand of praise? Can we give our Lord and Savior Jesus a hand of praise? He's the one who deserves it. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. I'm glad to be back here at Northridge Church. What a mighty God. Um, it has been a joy to worship these past few services, and uh, they are prepared. They gave me two towels. I don't, I don't know what that means, but... Uh, so glad and so thankful for, again, this amazing church and what you all are doing and how you're committed to waking the world to Jesus and showing his compassion and love to so many people. Uh, it's just always a blessing to be here, to Brad and all the leadership. We just thank God. Can we just give God praise for this church and for the leadership of this church? Amen. Um, as I always pray and ask God what he would have for me to share with you all, uh, this message is one that he just would not let me get away from. It's not the one that I would have chosen, uh, but my ways are not his ways. His ways are far better than mine, but I believe uh, it's a tough word, but it's an appropriate word for, I believe, where God would have us to go. So let's pray as we approach the word of God together. Father, we thank you so much for your living word. Your words are spirit and life to us. Your word does not return to you empty, but it accomplishes what you purpose and what you please. The Bible is the only book that we can read that reads us. So God, would you speak to us that we would not just be informed, but that we would be transformed. And God, less of us and more of you is our prayer. In the name that's above all others, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to be in the New Testament and the book of 2 Corinthians, and as we are diving into this scripture, uh, I believe that it is uh, an appropriate word for where we are, not only individually, but I believe even where we are collectively. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 19, it says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 19 again, that God was reconciling the world to himself not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I want to talk from the subject today, mind the gap, the ministry of reconciliation. Mind the gap, the ministry of reconciliation. I was in London uh, a few months ago, and uh, the underground railway system is pretty complex in London, but everywhere that you go, you will see signs in that subway system that says, mind the gap. 
And simply what it's saying is be careful to uh, not get in the platform in between the train and the platform is a little space. And if people are not careful, they will end up falling and possibly harming themselves. So they're saying be mindful of the space that separates the platform from the train. I thought about the fact that there are spaces that separate us separate us for different kinds of reasons and different kinds of causes. One uh, cause could be just ideological differences. Today, more than ever, we find ourselves uh, polarized as one person thinks one way about a subject, another one thinks another way about a subject. Sometimes those differences can even divide households, divide friends, sometimes even divide a nation. Sometimes ideological differences can be the space between us that divide us. But sometimes even in a marriage, you can find, isn't it amazing how God's sense of humor will bring two completely opposite people together, calling them husband and wife? Uh, it, it's just amazing to me. I, I marvel at my wife, who is now Dr. Carey. She just finished her PhD. Five master's degrees and a PhD. She's the beauty and the brains. And, uh, and my wife, being the type A, uh, extremely focused and amazing woman that she is, she plans everything out. So we just went away uh, up north uh, for a, a time of preaching and teaching that I was up there. And so we just spent some time together as a family. And of course, she plans every single day. She lays out in the suitcase, this is what we'll wear this day, this is what we'll wear this day. This is the, then she even plans the day. This is the schedule for this day. This is the schedule for that day. I am the complete opposite. I just reach in the drawer and grab things and hope that I have enough underwear to last throughout the week. My wife and I are different in the way that we even view things. I mean, maybe it's the same with you, how you even want to raise the children, how you want to discipline them, how you want to financially move forward. It, it, sometimes the differences that, that we have can often even divide us, especially if it's over things that we feel are important. Sometimes the spaces that divide us can even be in marriage. Many times, you all, the spaces that divide us uh, are critical, but none more critical than the eternal space that divides us. Mankind, you all, is in sin apart from God. And those of us who come to know Jesus Christ, we have come into a saving, grace-filled revelation that the only way they can, we can be right with God is in a relationship with Christ. But there are many people in our world, there are many people that may even be here today who are far from God, maybe investigating God, and there's a space, a chasm between us. And so, you all, we need to figure out what it is that God has called us to do to bridge that gap, to close those chasms, and to help us be more of what he wants us to be. So there are three things I want to talk about. Those that might be taking notes might want to write it down. Three things I want to focus on. First of all, what Christ did, what Christ did. Secondly, what we can do. And finally, what's the outcome? So what did Christ do? What Christ did? Secondly, what can we do? And finally, what's the outcome? All of it found right here in the text. So first of all, what Christ did. As we open up uh, our uh, focus at this text, we need to kind of give a backdrop to what has occurred. Many of us are aware of the story of Adam and Eve, the first human beings that God created placed them in a garden, uh, gave them free reign to go anywhere in the garden that they please. As a matter of fact, the garden was a, a paradise. Uh, the scripture says that there was even a mist that came out of the ground, kind of like a, its own internal uh, sprinkler system. They didn't have to tend the ground. Uh, the fruit literally fell off the trees. Whatever they needed was just without any labor. They were just able to partake of it. God says, you can eat of every tree in this entire garden, this entire paradise. 
You can eat of any tree that you like, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil, don't eat of that tree. For the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Adam and Eve had the ability to eat the tree of life. No problem. They could do this. That. But, but of course, guess, guess where they were hanging out the most? They were hanging out the most at the place where God told them to not eat of the tree. And so as they were hanging out at it, of course, the serpent, uh, the enemy, the snake, uh, Satan, uh, spoke to Eve and said, did God say that? He didn't mean that. You're not going to die. Surely if you eat that, God's trying to hold something against you. Go ahead and eat it. So she went ahead and partook of the, uh, the fruit. And we don't know what kind of fruit it was. It wasn't an apple. We just know it says it was the fruit of the tree. She partook of that. Nothing happened at that moment. She handed it to Adam. And the moment that Adam took of the fruit, partook of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, at that moment, humanity was hurled into sin. Not only humanity, but even the world was hurled into sin. There were no earthquakes. Uh, there was no turmoil. There was no uh, death. There was nothing evil in the world prior to that point. And so as we often blame God, why did God allow that to happen? Why did God allow the other to happen? We've got to be mindful that God gave humanity a choice. Humanity chose to disobey his commandment. And as a result, not only was humanity hurled into sin, but all the world around us. From that moment forward, everybody that was born was born separated from God, born with a sin or sinful nature. Many people say, well, I don't believe that, Harvey. I don't believe that all of us are born with a sinful nature. Uh, I believe that we are. And I believe there's a good example of that. Now, let me just kind of uh, give a, a parenthetical caveat. I do believe that people who do not have the capacity for whatever reason cognitively to make a decision, it could be an impairment, it could be a challenge mentally. I don't believe that God would judge them if they're not able to cognitively even know who he is. I don't believe that a child who's not aware uh, of, of who God is, there would be judgment. But, but do you know the moment that your kids first started getting a little smart and figuring things out. Can I tell you what you did not have to do? You did not have to teach them to lie. Think about it. If their nature was to be good, if their nature was good, you'd have to say, you know what? I got to teach these good kids how to do something evil. Those kids of yours, as precious as they are, the moment that their little brains formed and they start getting cognitively aware, they became little monsters. My daughter, I love my daughter. I just have a 27-year-old, and she's uh, the joy of my life. Uh, I never forget my daughter. I, we I told her, sweetheart, uh, let mom and dad know if you need some milk out of the refrigerator. We don't want you climbing up and hurting yourself. Just please let us know. She said, okay, daddy, sure. Uh, I came home one day. Her face was just full of milk around her face. Mom was, uh, your mom was somewhere else. I knew her mother didn't do it. I said, Tiffany, have you been drinking milk? No. I said, Tiffany, have you been drinking? Dad, No. I took her up to the mirror and I put her face. I said, what's on your face? She said, I don't know. I said, how did it get there, Tiffany? How did the milk get on your face? She said, mommy did it. A liar, just a little liar, just a little liar. My child, a liar. Listen, you all, we laugh at that. But if the truth be told, all of us could recognize a scenario similar to that where we saw our kids the moment that they became self-aware. Like, come here. No, I want to go the other way. I mean, just, just disobedient, just sinful. And it would be funny if it, if, 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 it, if it just stayed as an innocent child's disobedience, but it moves into adulthood and it moves into rebellion. It moves into murder. It moves into strife. It moves into literally, you all, a, a sinful condition, 
a sinful nature. Listen, it's just how we're born, separated from God. But God wanted to make things right. He wanted to bring peace between him and us and us and him. And so God had to develop a plan so that he would be able, a holy God, to communicate now with unholy people. And so in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, he devised a, a series of, of, of sacrifices that would be able to allow humanity to have some measure of fellowship with him. And so in the Old Testament, he said, I want you to get uh, some animals because there's life in the blood, Deuteronomy says. And so I want you to uh, have sacrifices where the blood of goats or calves or whatever would be shed on behalf of the people's sins and the sins of the people will be covered. And indeed, as those sacrifices were done, Israel's sin, the people of God, they were covered. God was able to have a measure of fellowship with them because their sins were covered. You all covering the sin did not take away the sin. It kind of reminds me of the comforters that we have at home that cover the bed, but don't really make up the bed. Have you ever looked under that cover? For many of us, we don't fully make up the bed. We just pop that. Don't look at me like that. We pop that, we pop that comforter on there and put some pillows up there. But if we pull that back, there's Pringles, chips, M&Ms. There's all kind of stuff. Listen, you, I, I know. Okay, somebody said, I don't eat in bed. Okay, you know, stop judging me. <laughs> so listen, your bottom line is that many of us realize that, that when we cover uh, the bed, it doesn't always take away what's under it. It just covers it. Well, in the Old Testament, uh, the blood of goats, the blood of calves, the blood of these turtle doves, those things did not take away man's sins. They could not. It just covered it. God needed a more excellent sacrifice. God needed someone or something that would take away the sins of the world. And to God be the glory that for God so loved us, he so loved the world that he chose to gave his only begotten son, Jesus. He came born of a virgin. Listen, why is that important? Why is the virgin birth important? Because if Maury had to do a show back in Bible times, like who is the baby daddy? We'd find out that if they did the DNA test, we'd find out God is the Father. <laughs> that God is the Father. The Spirit of God uh, overshadowed Mary, and she conceived a child inside of her womb for the first time in human history and the last time in hu human history. Fully God, fully man. Fully God, all-powerful, and fully man. What then had the power to wash away humanity's sins? It could not be the blood of a goat or the blood of a bird. It had to be the blood of someone like the people. And so to God be the glory that Jesus came, and when John the Baptist saw him in the distance, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I came to tell you, Northridge, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you ever will do, it is not more powerful than the blood of Jesus, which has the power to wash every single sin away. I love the song that says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole within? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I thank God that there's no other name under heaven whereby I can call and be saved other than the name of the one whose blood can wash my sin away. Buddha is all right, but his blood cannot wash my sin away. Listen, there's no name you can call that can make your life right with God other than the name of Christ. Is there anybody? here excited that you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. 
I might not be perfect, but I'm blood washed. I might not be what you want me to be, but I'm blood washed. I might be a work in progress, but I am blood washed. And because I'm blood washed, I'm righteous and I'm worthy and he loves me. It ain't nothing you can do about it. So this is what Christ did. He did this for us. And the scripture reminds us here in this text specifically that God chose indeed in this moment of love, in this moment of compassion to allow us, you all, to experience forgiveness and experience reconciliation in what way? He chose us, you all, to see the handiwork of his power by Christ dying for us and indeed dying for us all. So what did Christ do? He gave his blood for us. But here's the, here's, the, here's the caveat. When we accept Jesus, we don't just become Christians and join a church. We don't just become Christians and become a part of a religion. Uh, indeed, Christianity is not really a religion. It's a relationship. But what happens is, you all, we are brought into oneness with Christ. When you and I accept Jesus, God views you as one with Christ. In John chapter 14, Jesus prayed a prayer. He said, I pray, Father, that they would be one with you the same way that you and I are one. Jesus said, I pray that, God, you would look at them the same way that you look at me. You, listen, you are one with Christ. That means that you are one with his death. That means that when he died to sin, you died to sin. But that also means that when he got up from the grave with all power in his hand, then you in Christ also can get up out of any situation, can get up out of any circumstance, can get up out of any problem because the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is inside of you to raise you from dead situations. Isn't that good news? Come on, y'all. That's some good news. Tell somebody next to you, that's good news. And so you all, because of this, you all, we realize that God has done something miraculous. He's allowed us to experience a salvation that is unlike anything we could have ever imagined because God has indeed died for us. Christ has died for us. And in that death, you and I have also experienced resurrection life that has come from God. So the first thing we want to see is what Christ did for us. But on the other side of what Christ did for us is now our responsibility to do something. So what does he want us to do? He said the love of Christ does what? It compels us. It compels us. It compels us to do what? To be compassionate and to be mindful of what he did. We can't be thankful for what he did and then not do anything with what he's done. We can't be thankful for the redemption that he's given to us and then not be mindful of being vessels, being ambassadors, being those who would also share the goodness with other people. Many of us think that we've just been redeemed just for ourselves, but we've not been redeemed for ourselves. We've indeed been redeemed because God has called us to help redeem someone else. The same message of reconciliation or being made right with God that we've received, he wants us now to give that to other people. But here's the challenge and here's the rub. When we see people through the lenses of their sin and through the lenses of what they've done, through the lenses of what they have not done, we find it very difficult to end up wanting to close the gap. Look, they're different from me. They've hurt me. They've wounded me. And because of that, there's a space between us. And you know what, Pastor? I know God wants me to, to go across it. I know God wants me to bridge it. But you know what? I don't want to bridge it. 
I don't desire to bridge it. You know why? Because they hurt me. They knew what they were doing. And because of the hurt that they've caused me, because of the differences that we have, I don't want to bridge the gap. He says, you know what? We've got to be careful. Once we have accepted Christ and once we've become a new creation, to not see other people through the eyes of the flesh, to not see them through the lenses of the world, but to see them through the eyes of Christ. Listen, you all, it is difficult when we have been wounded. It is difficult when the differences are so deep for us to want to be the big one and make the decision to always be the one making things right. For some of us, you all, we don't want to, don't, listen, don't you get tired of always having to be the one to be right? You know what? You know what, God? I love you, and I thank you so much for loving me, but I'm tired of you always making me be the one who has to say I'm sorry. Why don't they say I'm sorry? They're the one who did it in the first place. Why do I have to be the doormat that always has to go around and act like I'm the one that did something wrong? They're the one that at the Christmas last... Listen, some of y'all haven't spoke to your sister in years. Some of y'all do not like your brother. Some of y'all do not like family members. Why? Because they hurt you. And listen, I'm not minimizing what they did. And I'm not minimizing the genuine hurt that they caused. But I'm asking you a question. Have you ever hurt God? And if you ever hurt God, what did God do? Did he decide to not speak to you anymore? Because you're, oh, watch this. Watch this. God, I'm not going to do it anymore. I promise. Have we ever prayed that prayer? Don't lie to me up in the house of God. God, I'm not going to do it anymore. Watch this now. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. God, if you get me out of this, I promise you fill in the blank. And can I tell you, I'm a prophet. You didn't do it. And here's the question. Did God stop being gracious? Did God stop being loving? Did God stop providing? Did God stop giving you air to breathe? Did God, listen, no. As a matter of fact, the more you messed up, the more grace you needed. I hope you'll clap about that with what I'm about to say to you. The same grace that we have been lavishly given for our consistent breaking the heart of God, the same love and the same compassion that he has given to us and continues to give to us. He says, you know what? If you belong to me, then I need you to stop making this about you. I need you to do what I ask you to do, which is to take up your cross every day and die to yourself so that the same way that I show you unconditional love, that you would start showing the world around you unconditional love. Now, Northridge, let me say this because this is probably the most pivotal point of the whole message. We know that cognitively to be true. We acknowledge that. That makes sense. Okay, God's been gracious to me. I should be gracious to other people. God's been forgiving to me. I should be forgiving to other people. God has reconciled and made peace with me and I with him. I, sh I should do the same. Watch this. But Harvey, I can't. You know what? I even tried. And you know when I tried, you know what they did? They did the same thing and they did it worse. So you know what, Harvey? I, I want to do it, but I don't have what it takes. 
when I get around that person, I just want to hurt them. And I know it's not right. I know it's not the will of God, but I literally want to kill them and pray that God would raise them from the dead after I kill them. But I, do, I want them to die. I mean, some of you all are at the point. Listen, some of you all go to work. You have to sit in your car and pull it together before you go in. Some of you all have so much tension at your job that you time your entrances and exits based on when the enemy of you is coming in or out. And every day of your life, that coworker, that boss is controlling your actions. Holidays, you can't even uh, approach them without stress and trauma because of what you know you've got to enter into with the family. Over and over again, maybe the ex has hurt you and right now in worship, you sit and you know you love God and you want to forgive, but you say, Pastor, I don't have the capacity to forgive. How can I forgive? Do you, Pastor, how can I do it? Do you have an answer? I do. First of all, the Ten Commandments, you've heard me say this before, but I don't think we get it. It's a revelation that if you get it, I promise, if you get this, it'll change your life. The Ten Commandments, have you ever read them? The most depressing things you ever want to read. You know why? Because when you start reading them, and if you're honest, you've broken most of them. Like, that same day. <laughs> the first commandment is, I'm a jealous God, and I will have no other gods put nothing before me ever. Tax time. Don't lie. <laughs> Never desire something that's not yours. Never bear false witness. I mean, all of the stuff that he's mentioning he gave the Ten Commandments to humanity to say, guess what, people? I'm holy, I'm pure, and this is what I desire that the people who serve me do and act like. And guess what? When we got them, we realized we can't do it. Why then would God give us something that he required of us that we do not have the capacity to do? Because God wanted to let us know that it is impossible to please God without God. Watch this. Jesus comes along, right? The perfect man, fully uh, God, fully man, sinless. And in his sinless life, what did he do? He always pleased the Father. Jesus kept all the commandments. Jesus did everything that was always pleasing to God. And Jesus said that when he died, he said, listen, I'm not leaving you all alone. I'm not leaving you by yourselves, but I'm giving another one just like myself, the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, who will not be with you, but will be in you. And he will give you the ability to do what you cannot do on your own. The Spirit of God inside of us gives us the capacity to do what we cannot do in our own own strength so that the excellency or the praise will not be of us, but will always be of him. Have you ever been in a situation where you wanted to say something and the Holy Spirit had you say something else and you knew that that wasn't you? Come on now. Have you ever been driving and somebody in front of you like was driving 0.3 miles an hour in the fast lane. And you wanted to say or do what you know you're... 
And as you're getting ready to maybe open the window and, you know, give them a hummingbird, <laughs> the Lord said, don't, and you didn't, and you realize that's not me. I want to honk the horn. I want to go around. Have you ever done this? Go around and look at them. Because <laughs> you, know? you want to know, are they, are they an elderly person? Because you give them grace if they're old. And when they're young, you're like, I'm not giving you grace. You're young. You know. When you find yourself loving, when you know you don't want to love, that's God. When you find yourself forgiving, when it's impossible to forgive, that's God. When you find yourself crossing chasms and interacting with people that are not normally comfortable for you to interact with, that's not you, but it's God at work in you. And that simple act of obedience, of surrendering and allowing him to do it, it creates for other people an awareness of God. You know why? Because they know that ain't you. They're like, wait a minute, you're speaking to me? You're the one, I know you don't, listen. The Bible says that when we show kindness to people, you know what we do? We place coals of hot coals on that. They don't even understand. I'm trying to get you fired, and you just brought me a cupcake? You'd be surprised what God would do when you begin to show up, let him show up in you as opposed to you showing up all the time. When you and I show up, it's always wrong. When God shows up, it's always transformative. Amen. And so you all, what is this, what is this text saying? What is, what is the end of this? If we know what Christ did and we know what our response is, then what, then what would God have us to do to ensure that we are bringing about a ministry of reconciliation? What does it mean to actually be in a ministry of reconciliation? Here it is. God wants us to realize that when we have been given grace, he calls us to give back the same measure of grace that we've been given. I want to read from the, uh, the message version. It says, all this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Now watch this now. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. That's the ministry of reconciliation. It's the ministry of you and I choosing to help bring peace to people who've never experienced it. Let me share this with some of us who've been deeply wounded. For some of us who've been deeply wounded, we say stuff like, you know what, Pastor? I'm not going to let them do that anymore. I'm not going to keep letting my heart be uh, used that way and hurt that way. I'm not going to allow uh, myself to be rejected. You know what? I, I don't want to share my faith because what if I don't know the answer? What if they reject me? I, me, I, me, I, me. Everything that often stands in the way of us doing the will of God is this selfish, self-centered, uh, fallen, old nature part of us that is always concerned about what it would look like for me and how embarrassing it might look for me. 
This past week when I was up north near Traverse City, I was at a retreat uh, for a week, an amazing retreat, met some amazing people. But once again, God, in his ultimate sense of humor, just played. I'm the only black person at this retreat uh, up north in the woods. Okay. <laughs> And, and on top of it, in the beginning of the week, you all, I don't know why God had done this as well, but all the people that were there, wonderful people, amazing people, had some great conversations, amazing, uh, but they were extremely quiet. They did not move. They were like trees planted by the rivers of water. I shall not be moved. They were not looking. They, they were, their eyes were the only things that were batting, and it seemed like they were batting very slowly. I mean, they, no hands, no nothing. And so you all, so once again, uh, you know how I preach. You know how I am. So God throws me in the woods with people that look like me that are not responding in any way. I had to preach 12 times. But watch this. When Harvey got out of the way and realized that these people needed to hear the gospel and needed to be reached, guess what? By the end of the week, those same people who were batting their eyes slowly were lifting their hands and shouting to God, and one brother gave his life to Christ at the end of this retreat. Why? And hear me well. Hear me well, you all, because I have chosen to cross the chasm of difference and not preach to people that are comfortable for me to preach to because it's not about me and it's about him. And if you could stop being so focused on you and get over yourself, you'd realize that God wants to use you to heal your broken parents who hurt you. Well, I needed them to be that, and they knew better, and they should because they're my parents. They're broken. And you're fixed. So why would you demand of the broken to do what the fixed have been called to do? has given to us the ministry of making peace and reconciling broken things. And what if the church of Jesus Christ would awaken in this hour and realize that we have the power to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We could change the world if we wanted to. I'm serious. Our nation is where it is because of the church. I firmly believe it. This nation was, we're in a post-Christian America. Can you believe it? And it's not because Christians are gone. It's just because we were silent in the transition. Because we refused to open our mouths and be light in a dark world, darkness took over. But guess what? The party ain't over yet. Oh, come on, don't look at me like that. The party ain't over yet. What the devil is intending for evil, God will make it for good. God can still use our country. Amen. Is there anybody that believes that? It ain't over yet. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Listen, let me tell you why. Not because we just believe it, but because you are the answer. The same way you clapped, don't clap for some outside force to do it. You are the salt of the earth. And here's the question. What gap are you crossing? Who are you choosing to talk to on the other side of the aisle? 
I told, uh, I have a multicultural church, so I have a lot of Republicans and Democrats. I told uh, some of my Republicans one Sunday, I want you to all wear your Make America Great hats. Make, wear your Make America Great hats. Then I told, and wear your Black Lives Matter t-shirts. And let's sit together, doggone it, and let's talk, and let's worship, and let's not allow the enemy to divide us. In Jesus' name! In Jesus' name! So, what's the homework? There's some people in your world right now who are far from God. There's some people in your world right now who are unreconciled to you and you to them. And listen, you can't be responsible for their response, but you are responsible for the action that God has called you to take. And if you and I would choose to allow the Spirit of God to be at work within us, He will do things you could have never imagined. He will show up in ways that will boggle your mind. He will cause you to be able to say the right thing at the right time that might bring healing to the one that even hurt you. And now the one who has been so used to hurting can now become a healer and not a hurter. But they can't do it unless the healer shows up to heal them. And the healer is you. We are the body of Christ. We can't say, God, I need you to come down and do that. He's like, well, I need you to do it because I place my power in you. We're the body of Christ. We're his arms. We're his feet. We're his mouth. If we're the salt of the earth, we cannot be content with being in salt shakers. Northridge, y'all got a nice salt shaker. I ain't lying. I mean, you got a boat in your salt shaker. Come on now. That's, that's a pretty major salt shaker. You know what I'm saying? But I've never seen anybody who wanted some, some salt on their steak just admiring the salt shaker. It's just a place that the salt gathers together. But what happens is when the salt goes out of the salt shaker, what happened inside the salt shaker has relevance. And if we in this room would leave this room today, each and every one of you, committing to cross a chasm of some kind, to talk to my father, to talk to my mother, my siblings, to approach my coworker a bit different tomorrow. In that one simple, seemingly insignificant act, you would begin the ministry of what? Reconciliation. And in doing that, you all, listen, why, listen, why would they want to be reconciled to God when they can't be reconciled to you? Why in the world would they want to accept the message of Christ when all they see is the message of unforgiveness in you, the message of meanness in you, the message of a wall in you? Man, I've been through so much. And I just want to say this. I, I, I haven't said this in any other service. I don't know why the Lord have me saying it now, but I'm going to say it. You know, as a black person, I have been wounded by white people. I have. I told y'all I was in Dearborn and got pulled over by... Eight police cars. Eight. Had me get out of my car. Don't up. I was reaching for my phone. They pulled their weapons out saying, stop reaching for your weapon. I said, oh, God, I'm not about to get killed out here in Dearborn. I didn't. I stopped. They went through my car, you know. And when it was over, I said, could you please tell me what it was? They said, well, you know, the air freshener that you have on your windshield, you can't put those on your uh, windshield, on your, uh, your, your, 
rearview mirror because that obstructs your vision. Of course, my church members reached out, you know, the, the, the police department reached out and they have offered apologies, but I, I wondered if I didn't have a multicultural church and if there weren't that many phone calls, is that a phone call that they make to everybody? But here's the, here's the thing, listen, I'm not an angry black man. You know why? It doesn't mean that justice doesn't need to be done. It doesn't mean that we've got some fights that we've got to make. It doesn't mean that we, we don't fight in the political system to make everything better. But here it is. I'm a child of God. And I, listen, hold on, hold on. And I cannot and I will not allow the actions of one or the actions of another make me be somebody different because I am better than that. And so are you. Stop it. Don't clap yet. I don't know what they did to you. I know it hurt, but I came to tell you that because Jesus is in you, you have the power to forgive because you have been forgiven. We can make a change, Northridge. Those of us in this sanctuary today, those that are watching, we can make a change. But it starts with us, number one, realizing what has Christ done for us? What is our response to what he's done? And if we respond appropriately, what's the outcome? The outcome is this, that people that are far from God will be brought closer to him. People who don't know him will see the love that's unconditional coming from us and know that there must be something greater about them than them. And I need to meet the God that has caused them to call me. The God that caused them to give me a cupcake that's not laced with something. <laughs> the God that has allowed me to see a love that doesn't make sense. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I am far from God and I don't even know how to, to even have Christ in my life to do that. The good thing about accepting God is that he's not far off. The Bible says if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. Seek him and you'll find him. So I'm thankful that there are so many people that are, here, are seeking that are here right now, not believers yet, and you say, I want to be, what do I do? The Bible just tells us very simply, whoever confesses, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be a part of his family. What does that mean? God, I surrender my will to you. I can't, I can't do this. I can't live this kind of life apart from you. I give my will to you, Jesus. I acknowledge you as my savior. You're in charge. And the moment that you do that, you begin this awesome journey of being a child of God. And if you have done that today, and if you have made that kind of commitment, or maybe you are still inquiring and you want someone to follow up, right inside the bulletin, there's just a little connect card. You can fill it out, and you can turn that in at the end of the exits, and someone will get back to you uh, very quickly at the beginning of the week. But also, you can text the 313131. Uh, hey, guess what I did today? I gave my life to Christ, or I've got questions about the faith. Someone will also reach out to you. Whatever is most convenient for you, we want you to know that there's no greater thing that you can do than give your life to Christ. Northridge, as we engage in the ministry of reconciliation, we will show a broken and fallen world once again that Jesus is still alive, and he's alive inside of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for reminding us about what you've done and then what you've called us to do. Help us to leave this place, not best hearers of the word only, but doers. And God, as we engage with you in a broken world, we wake up the world to Jesus. And we wake up the world to Jesus by you being awake inside of us. And it's in the name that's above all others that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, Northridge. Have a great rest of your summer.